Now, life over the last few months has been quite different, hasn't it? There's been a whole bunch of words that the media has used. I'm going to try and avoid saying all of them. But I wonder what you have been thinking about in this season. Um, Maybe as we begin term three, as we enter this part of life, uh, maybe you've found a way to return to life close to what it was before. Because of your work circumstances, because of your age and stage of life, you've been able to find a sense of something uh, of what was before. But I suspect that for many of us, we're still coming to terms with a new normal, that things aren't exactly as they were. Uh, And this crisis has been an inconvenient imposition, hasn't it? Something we didn't ask for, something that landed on us, something that continues to uh, play with our fears and our anxieties and, and our lives. It's both an inconvenient imposition, but also an unexpected opportunity to reimagine and reprioritize our lives, our communities, and our discipleship, I think. And one of the ways that our pastoral team has been thinking through and reflecting on all that has been happening is asking what has been revealed and what has been exposed about our lives. Because in this season, we've been challenged to think about our relationships, our well-being, our priorities, and our life together as church family. And over the next four weeks, we want to unpack some of those questions together, asking how Jesus can speak through all of this to us. This morning, we want to look at what we are learning about living in community. Because many of our social norms have been exposed over the last few months. And we've recognized again how important it is to have deep and real connections with friends and family, and not to take for granted the people in our lives. I'm not sure what changed for you, but I found myself writing letters, sending gifts, and making extra phone calls to many people in my life. Community matters. Old habits have been shaken loose. People we haven't talked to for a long time, suddenly we remember them and remember to call them, remember to write to them. And the changes that we've been experiencing have given us an opportunity to make changes for good and for better. But if we're not careful, the questions and learning and opportunity in front of us will quickly disappear behind the noise and distraction of everyday life. Instead of clamoring to go back, I hope we can turn and face into a future that is uncertain, but rife with possibilities to build a world and a church family that is more compassionate, more real, more generous, more courageous, more vulnerable, more hospitable, more like Jesus. What sort of community life do you imagine you can have, we can have? What sort of relationships can you develop in your world? This isn't just a question for our time and place and in this COVID season. These questions have been wrestled with forever, as long as humans have been trying to figure out how to do life together. And Jesus' followers are no different. And there's two passages I want us to read together. And in the spirit of community, I'm going to ask two volunteers to read these passages for me. So here's the first one, Philippians 2, verse 1 to 5. If someone can grab that one, put your hand up so we know that someone's got that. Philippians 2, 1 to 5. Come on, don't be shy. I'm only putting you on the spot. Thanks, Brian. Romans 12, 9 to 18. These two passages capture for us 
something of the kingdom imagination for life in community. And we see in the letter to the Philippians uh, a call to be like Jesus, to posture ourselves as followers of Jesus as he was postured, to have the same mind and attitude and values of Jesus, to approach relationship with others with humility and love. And this invitation exposes something of the self-centeredness and selfish ambition that we wrestle with. And our culture preaches a message that says, you matter, your freedom matters, your security matters, your wealth matters. And it's true, these do matter, but there's a key difference in the messaging. Notice a key emphasis in that passage to the Philippians is that you, we are to value others as more important than ourselves. Our well-being, our wealth, our welfare is meant to be filtered and prioritized and worked out collectively. Jesus' imagination of life is not life lived in competition with everyone else around us, but life lived in collaboration with others. We would go even further and say that life is to be lived in covenant with others as we commit to a community of believers and choose to invest in their wealth and in their well-being as a priority. And this is the model of Jesus that we are told to consider. This is the kingdom imagination of Paul for the Philippians and for us as people that walk in their footsteps This is the countercultural model of community that we are called to, one that values the other more than we value ourselves. But these values are exposed a little bit, aren't they, when our back is against the wall, like during the first few weeks of a pandemic? Who did we think of when we were anxious? Who did we invest in when there was more at stake? These might be hard questions for us to give answers to, but they reveal something of who we are and how we live and who we value. The kingdom imagination continues in Paul's letter to the Romans. And beginning with love, Paul invites the Roman church to a pattern of life that is marked by sincere love, in his words. In other words, and in some words that the message translation uses, a love that comes from the center of who they are. He invites them to run from destructive forces in their community and to hold on for dear life to good, to be good friends who love deeply, choosing to honor others, to prioritize others over themselves. And then some words which could have been written exactly for us during a pandemic, words which we need to hear, I think I need to hear, in the middle of difficult times, in the tiredness and anxiety and also in the distraction and attraction of Netflix on the couch. We hear this in verse 12. Don't burn out. Cling to the deep joy of real community. Keep trying. Keep hoping. Don't quit community in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help each other, especially the needy, he says, Be inventive in hospitality. These verses call us to a commitment to community even when it is hard, especially 
when it is hard, and especially to those who have it the hardest in life. Paul goes on, bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath, celebrate with your friends who are celebrating, share tears with your friends when they are down, get along with each other, don't be clicky or stuck up, be friends with everybody, don't think you are too good for anybody, don't get back at people, be generous and discover beauty in everyone, if you've got it in you, get along with everybody. These verses paint a beautiful picture of community, don't they? Something that I hope we aspire to, but it's also a picture of community that requires practice. It requires all of us to be open to the Spirit, to be transformed in our hearts, to be challenged in our attitudes, and to try and keep trying to do this thing we call church family. Because there's this tragic reality that far too many people in our churches, too many people in our church family, that are lonely in community, isolated even as they are surrounded by others who proclaim solidarity and yet practice indifference to their quiet refusal to quit being part of us even as they don't feel us but rather feel as though they are a they and not a part of our we. Because it's entirely possible to feel like a stranger in your own family. But this is not the kingdom imagination of this family. No one should feel as though they are only part of us on Sunday and not part of us on a Monday. If we were all honest, I wonder if we would all say that we can make more room for another in our lives. But we all feel a bit awkward and a bit shy and a bit tired and a bit busy. But we're family. We all want to belong. We all want to be known. And we're all afraid of getting too close just in case you find out who I really am. And then I'll be shamed and rejected and worse off than I feel now. And so we settle for just being part of a shallow something called church. But it's not church's family. It's church family filtered. Every relationship and interaction and conversation shown in just the right light. Just enough to tease us with the idea that our conversations on our Sunday mornings are all we need to be and have to be family. And rarely do we let anyone in on the truth of our fears and despairs and we struggle to remember the passions and the cares of our Sunday friends. Forgetting their names, we offer pleasantries and our cordial Sunday best and stick to our cliques and those we know best, desperately avoiding the truthful revealing of our souls. But the thing we are most desperate to keep you from finding out about is that I want to belong but I don't know how. We want to belong. And as Brene Brown says, we want to belong in a way where I get to be me. Because to get to be ourselves is a gift in this community and is, and is a pilgrimage of finding out more about who we are. To get to be me requires being in a community for long enough that you and I can learn to love each other despite my failings and frustrations and flaws. 
Brené Brown also says that belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. And for us as followers of Jesus, that happens best in the body of Christ, a local church family, somewhere where we can live truthfully about our love for Jesus and our desire to follow him and filter our life's decisions through his kingdom imagination of life. But belonging is hard. It requires commitment and compromise and even amount of conformity. It requires becoming someone who is no longer driven by setting ourselves apart from those people, but is instead ready to build up the church of my people. It's not easy. Because in a church family, humanity is way too close to look good. And we have to deal with the reality and maybe the disillusionment that comes with it that recognises real Christian community isn't the romantic ideal that we hoped for. That it's hard work and that it requires something of me. I think that's what Paul is trying to say to the Philippian church and the Roman church. Leave behind your romantic views of the church community where everyone gets along all the time and everyone invites you in and serves you and makes it really easy for you to want to serve them too. No, Paul says, be like Jesus. Have his attitude and love deeply a whole group of people who are really hard to love. Now, some of, this would, some of you would know this about me because I've said it out loud a few times, but I am fascinated by why so many of you are part of our church family and why you keep coming back. And even after having a break from being together and being online and being able to do church in your pyjamas, we saw you, <laughs> why would you come back again? Because doing this church family thing is is not easy. You're not easy. (laughs) What I really mean is I'm not easy to be in community with. I mess up. I say the wrong things. I forget important things. I don't call. I sometimes choose a night by myself over a night hanging out with you. Physical distancing, online church, and community life done from a distance has given us a chance to evaluate and reimagine life together as community, life in relationship with others. And Paul has given us a glimpse of of what he thinks we should know about life together, but what else might we think about? I think we should start with trust, something that is given, not earned. But I wonder if sometimes when we sit in a church family or any group or relationship, we're waiting for them to do something, anything that will allow me to trust them. But I wonder if one of the lessons in belonging is, and one of the keys to developing friendships and family is that trust is mine to give rather than yours to prove. It's a risk. And it requires courage, but it's vital to forming deep relationship with anyone, with any community, and it's true in our church family too. It it requires trusting that we will be the kind of church family that we can be. And just like any relationship, we will not always do what we say we will, and we will not always be who we say we are. But we keep on trusting that we will keep trying to be 
who we can be. A group of people learning to like each other and to love each other as Jesus first loved us. Belonging also requires generosity. A generous posture of wonder at the image of God in each person. The creativity, the beauty, the personality and passions and pursuits that make us all so different and so interesting. What would it mean for our community if the most interesting person in the room for you today was the person next to you? Instead of looking for the best opportunity to network or your friend you already see regularly, you saw the person next to you and you saw them with a childlike wonder. Instead of cynical suspicion. Instead of stranger danger. Instead of anxious comparison. See wonder. See, interesting. Ask open-ended questions that help you to capture something of who the person really is. Find out what makes them jump out of bed. Get them talking about what's interesting to them. And listen. Listen to them to remember. Listen to know. Listen to connect. Listen to encourage. Listen to love. And while I'm talking about listening, Josh, remember each other's names. Josh was tricking you this morning and using your last names to try and remember all your names when he was on the iPad. He's not even in here, and I told him I'd make a joke about him. (laughs) Do the loving thing. Write down people's names. Swap numbers. Google memory exercises if you have to. Do (laughs) what it takes to remember each other because you love one another. But church church family is not just about warm greetings on the way in on a Sunday morning, as if that's how we build a flourishing community. Belonging requires showing up. Friendship requires hospitality. And part of our commitment to each other is turning up when we're invited, making every opportunity a priority as if we really do love one another. And of course, being able to turn up requires an invitation, requires us to share our favourite cafe spaces, our dinner tables, our beach walks, our coffees with friends, our movie outings, our camping trips, our lives with others. Loving one another, belonging together, knowing each other requires us to be close enough together to listen and learn. And that requires lots of informal interactions. Dinners and coffees and chats and phone calls and prayers and stories and life. Hospitality requires a courageous commitment to include others. One that says to ourselves and each other, I know you only feel like hanging out with someone comfortable today, but we're a family that includes others. And so we're going to extend that invitation beyond ourselves and to the stranger. Friendship requires proximity. It requires repeated, unplanned interactions. And it requires a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and confide in each other.
These three requirements are quite different to the environments we find ourselves in often with all of our groups of situational friends. What I mean by that is our work friends and our sport friends and our down-at-the-pub friends and whatever other situational groups of friends that you have in your life. We know that our capacity for intimacy is limited. So there's no expectation of course not, that you become best friends with everyone you ever meet and everyone in our church family. We can't, and that's okay. But there is an expectation in the kingdom imagination of church family that we will show hospitality to strangers, to extended family members, to everyone within our church family. Being part of a church family is a countercultural decision. And choosing to give one of your days off or your only day off away to live generously, to live large, is is entirely unselfish and countercultural. It's a choice that says I could keep my hospitality limited to those that bring something into my life, my friends, those that I'm already close to, the people I'm already comfortable with. We don't have time to open them, but Jesus' invitation in his parables when he talks about kingdom community is to include those who cannot do anything for us and to find in that hospitality a new way of sharing food, of learning, of community, of being family. Healthy community, healthy church is a community in which we can be real. We can find out who it is that we really are, what it is that we can offer, and how it is that each one of us belongs. Maybe in this season we might have asked, do I really need my church family? But perhaps we also might need to ask ourselves, does my church family really need me? Is there longing and belonging for each other? Because being part of our church family is as much us choosing you as you choosing us. It's committing courageously to one another. There might have been lots of ways you've been challenged to think about friendship and community because of isolation and physical distancing and anxiety and fear that comes with this virus. And maybe you've thought of some practices of love and belonging that you can develop in your own friendships, in our church family. What else can we learn to practice together as a church family? What do we imagine for our church family to be like? What changes in my posture and habits and in relationship am I willing to make as a generous gift to you? Am I willing to really love like Jesus loved? Some of those questions, some of those motivations, that call to that kingdom imagination should be enough. But there's also something else going on. We read in scriptures, by this they will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Loving one another is not just a loving gift for each other, but also for our neighbourhood. That those who come close enough, who gather around, 
We'll see more of Jesus by the way we interact. Um, I want to pray for us as we keep asking these questions as a community. What does it look like for us to be church as family? How do we love the people who are sitting next to us well? You can give an awkward sideways glance to who's next to you. You might want to pray for them as we pray together. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for the gift of this family, of our community. Thank you for every person who makes up our community, from the youngest to the oldest. Thank you for every person who you've gifted us with, who makes us who we are, interesting, flawed, frustrating, but fun. And and our sisters and our brothers and our uncles and our aunties and the people that we can love and be loved by, know and be known by. Jesus, continue by your spirit to transform our minds, our hearts, that we can see generously, that we can speak vulnerably, that we'll be courageous in what we open ourselves, uh, what we open up of ourselves to others. Help us to commit to hospitality. Jesus, we want to become more like you, and we thank you for those around us that are helping us do that. Help us to keep trying. Help us to keep hoping that that we will be who we can be, even when we mess up. Help us to be quick to forgive. Help us to overflow with love for one another. Jesus, continue to inspire in us something of who you want us to be, especially in this new season, Jesus. Help us to form new habits and new practices and to take this chance to, to start afresh. God, we thank you for what you are doing. And we thank you for what you've been able to speak to us about today, Jesus. We pray this together in your name. Amen.